Scaling Nation, I get people asking me all the time, how do I read so much as busy as I am? And the secret is, a lot of my reading people do for me. That's right, I use Audible. Audible is a service that will read books to you and allow you to get the content while you're driving from account to account. I've been using Audible for years and you can try it for free, one book and one month for free on me through our affiliate link, scalinguph2o.com forward slash Audible. You are listening to Scaling Up H2O, the voice of the water treatment community. Hey everybody, Trace Blackmore here, the host of Scaling Up H2O, trying something a little new this week. Of course, we normally introduce Scaling Up H2O, where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. Just trying something new. Let me know which one that you like. I love that there's so many people that let me know what it is that they want to hear. Let me know that they enjoy the podcast. So I definitely think we are the voice of the water treatment industry, and we are the voice of the scaling up nation. You, of course, are the nation. Thank you for letting me know all the things that you want me to talk about. Something that I love talking about is the business of business. I love water treatment and I love the business of water treatment. In running a business, I've just learned so many things and running a business properly is something that you never stop doing. It's something that you never stop learning about. And just like water treatment, just like all the things that we've got to know when we're working with clients, we've got to know similar things in order to run a successful business. Now, maybe you don't run or own your own business, but I guarantee you run or own your territory. We're all in charge of something and we all have to run our own individual businesses. And the business of running a business is just fascinating to me. And one of the things I absolutely love to do in addition to being the host of this podcast is facilitating other companies' meetings. Of course, I love doing that for my own company, but I will say it gets difficult to work in a company and facilitate a meeting because those are two separate things. And I get very passionate about all the departments that I'm in charge of here at my company. And because of that, I can't always be the best facilitator to make sure everybody's getting heard. So that's a service that I offer and I do for several other water treatment companies where I will come in and I will facilitate a leadership meeting or some type of business meeting that they are conducting. And that allows everybody in that company to wear their perspective hats and make sure that the areas of the company they represent are being represented properly. Well, when I do these facilitations, I normally come with a bag of exercises. I have a certain way that we will conduct the meeting, and then we'll take little breaks where we'll work on some aspect of that company. Maybe it's their core values. Maybe it's how they work with each other as a team. Maybe it's defining some of the key roles in their company. 
Maybe it's looking at a particular issue that they're having and running through an issues tract to help them eliminate that issue. There's always something that I try to do because I try not to just run a meeting. I try to teach the leadership team something during the meeting so they, when they go back and lead their regular meetings, they have better tools out there that they're constantly getting better. They're constantly improving themselves. They're constantly improving their teams. So I'm always looking for new ways to do that. And I'm reading books to do that. I'm going to conferences to do that. I'm talking to people that are in that industry to figure out what they are using. And by doing that, I keep myself sharp I also make sure that I'm sharing the best practices with the people that I am working with. So if you have a team, I urge you to look at it the same way. Don't just do the same thing over and over again. Figure out how do you make each encounter an improvement upon the last. And we're going to get into our interview today, which is around one of those tools that I found that have really helped not only my leadership team, but every team that I work with. Before we get into that, I want to share a couple of dates with you. Of course, we have the hang coming up, and the hang is where we all get together. We meet each other and we go into breakout rooms. You will meet probably a dozen people on this hang, and you never know, one of those people will be able to help you with an issue that you are having. In order to reserve your spot, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash hang and mark on your calendars July 14th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Some conferences that you might also want to put on your calendar. The American Water Works Association is having their Transformative Issue Symposium August 1st through 3rd in Cincinnati, Ohio. This is where they bring together water treatment professionals all across North America to figure out what issues are happening and how we can help each other solve them. More information about that, it will be on our show notes page. Another conference is the International Water Association is having their World Water Congress and Exposition September 11th through 15th in Copenhagen, Denmark. I mentioned on another show that we do very well as a podcast in those areas. So maybe we'll have some of those fine folks join us on The Hang. So the International Water Association is having their Congress and exhibition, and they are engaging all people across the water sector and making sure that they can focus on water services. How can they make sure that architects, urban planners, soil and groundwater experts, hydrologists, social scientists, financial people, and everybody else can get together and start solving some of our water issues. More of that on our show notes page. And then finally, November 6th through 10th in Orlando, Florida, the International Water Conference, the IWC, is having their conference. And they, of course, if you've ever been to an AWT, it's a lot larger than AWT and larger companies go to that. Of course, AWT got its start at an IWC conference. 
If you've never been to one, you definitely want to see all of the vendors that they have come in, all the different papers. It is a very different style of reviewing papers where instead of just somebody presenting a paper, somebody will present it, and then there will be people that have already critiqued their paper. They'll have somebody there that's for it, somebody who's there is against it. It is just a very interesting way, one, to present a paper there, if you've ever had the privilege to present a paper there, but also to watch. They have a very interesting way of making sure that you get a lot of questions answered that you might not even have thought to ask. So again, that's November 6th through 10th in Orlando, Florida. All of that information about the IWC will be on our show notes page. Folks, I'm really excited about this interview. I know you are going to learn so much during this interview. Here it comes. My lab partner today is Tim Cooper, principal consultant of The Table Group. And The Table Group is Pat Lencioni's company, Five Dysfunctions of a Team, The Advantage, you know, all the things that we talked about here on the podcast before and so many wonderful books. And Tim, thanks for coming on the show. I'm so excited to dive into all the things that you do. Oh, man, I am so excited to be here, Trace. I love talking what we're going to get into talk about today, especially anything around org health and helping people function better as a team. I love getting to talk about it. I can't wait to get started on that. Before we do, do you mind telling the Scaling Up Nation a bit about Tim? Absolutely. So the Scaling Up Nation, my name is Tim Cooper. I am in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, from Ohio originally, but I got out. You got out. It was prison. Yes, I got out. Atlanta is home. My wife and four kids, we all live north of Atlanta, and I have been a fan of the Table Group for a long time, and I was a client of the Table Group for years, trying to apply everything that I had learned through their books and through some of their consultants, and then have just recently joined as a principal consultant. Because what I realized, I mean, you and I have talked about this, and actually how we met is I was a pastor for the last 17 years. And the thing that I love is helping teams and people have better relationships and clarity around what it means to be successful. And the table group, in my opinion, are the experts at that. So to get to join them has been just a gift to me. And and specifically, when we're talking about organizational health, two of the big components of a healthy organization are high morale and high productivity. And the working genius is the tool that you know you and I are going to be talking about that I think is the best at raising both of those. So I get really excited about that because I get to come in and work with teams and hopefully they feel more fulfilled in what they do after uh, we get to work with them. And man, is there anything better than getting to do that? Right. You know, I was thinking back, it was episode 45, we had Rick Packer on, and I believe The Advantage had just come out. And that was my favorite book, by the way. I know Pat does a great job with the fables. Those are wasted on me. Don't tell me about people that don't exist. Just tell me what I need to do. And I told Rick on that episode that when I brought Pat's work into my company, that I had a whole new appreciation for how my team looked at it versus how I looked at it. My team dug into the characters. They were like, oh my gosh, this is a business book that I can actually read and I'm enjoying reading. 
So everybody likes something a little bit different, but my team just loved reading about all the people that did not exist in every one of Pat's books. That's so funny. There's people that just skip to the back of the book, but then there's people that are like, I love the fable more than the rest of the book. So you're right. There's something for everybody. Yeah, on that episode, Rick said, well, Trace, I got a hint for you. Just read the last chapter and you'll be done. (laughs) So you brought up Working Genius and you are a master facilitator at Working Genius. Did I say that right? Yes, a master facilitator of the Working Genius, which, you know, I've told you, I I think I'm only a master at forgetting my kids' names and birthdays, but I happen to be a master facilitator of the Working Genius, which just means that I get to work with teams and I get to certify people in the Working Genius to allow them to go out and take the Working Genius to their organizations and to other clients. Well, let me tell you my first experience with Working Genius, and then we're going to let the nation know exactly what it is. I found this through uh, our church. And it was uh, Andy Stanley did something on his podcast. And I was like, well, this, this sounds interesting. And I dug into it a little bit more. And I really thought that this answered some of the things that some other assessments didn't even touch on to. So the type of work, I don't ever remember seeing an assessment that looked at that where it was more personalities. And we're going to talk a little bit about temperaments and things, Mm -hmm. but not the type of work that you're doing. I'm like, this is really cool. So like I do as a visionary, as a red, as somebody that, uh, you know, just like shiny stuff, I sent an assessment to every one of my team members. And they're like, what is Trace doing now? We got another (laughs) assessment. He's already had us do a dozen. What is he up to? So I had to go through that. Once we went through that, and once we started learning how to work within it, it has just been amazing at how we can delegate where things need to go. But probably even more importantly is how we don't assign things that shouldn't go to people. And I'm just so excited about this. I know the nation's going to love it. I can't wait to use this even more with my mastermind group. I use it some with my consulting clients already. Let's talk about the working genius. What is it? So Trace, every time I'm with a team, I say, hey, how many of you, this is the first assessment you've ever taken and not a single hand goes up, right? And then I'll ask them, hey, how many of you were really excited when you saw another assessment come in your inbox? And still no hands go up. My hand would have gone up because I really like assessments. Your, yours would have. I always tell them, I'm like, look, I didn't need another assessment to tell me I was an extrovert. I know that about me. I did not need an assessment. But what I didn't know that I needed was an assessment that told me, why do I avoid certain kinds of work that drain the absolute life out of me? And then why do I gravitate towards some kinds of work that I feel like I could do all day, every day for the rest of my life? There's never been an assessment, in my opinion, out there that makes sense of that gap. And so what the working genius has been helping, I mean, it's only, it's just over a year old and we've got over 300,000 people that have taken it. The book, you know, we talked about Pat's books. This book doesn't even come out until September and it's had faster adoption than anything else the table group has ever put out because it's so simple in nature, right? Like, you know, hopefully the nation will hear, we're going to talk about this for a few minutes and in just a few minutes, they're going to start to go, oh, that makes sense oh, that helps me understand why I avoid certain kinds of work. Trace, you and I avoid very similar kinds of work. We'll get into that in a little bit. And then why is there some kinds of work that just bring me energy, bring me joy, bring me fulfillment? I've never heard of an assessment that makes sense of that. So what we talk about with the working genius 
is we say this is 80% a production tool and 20% a personality tool, where a lot of the other assessments that I've taken are not about getting work done in a really great and fulfilling way. It's about our wiring or our personality or our temperament or something like that. So the working genius really is a production tool and a production assessment at heart. It has really changed how we do things at our team. I've used it with a couple of companies, as I mentioned, that I worked with, and they're seeing the same results as well. So why don't we go into what the working genius is? And of course, the working genius spells out the word widget. Why don't we start there? Great. So the working genius is really, like I said, this is a productivity assessment. And we break it down. When you take the assessment online, you're given two geniuses, two competencies, and two frustrations. Just meaning there's going to be two of these of the widget, which I'll walk through, which each of those mean in just a second. Two of them are going to be the kind of work that fulfill you, that gives you energy, that that you really feel like, man, I could do that all the time. There's going to be two that we'll talk about that are in the competency, which are kind of that mid-range. And then two, we call your working frustrations that are the kind of work that you may not realize that you avoid at all costs that really do drain you. So at the top of that scale, there's six of these working genius types. The first one is wonder. And really the wonder genius are are the people that ponder the possibilities of greater potential and opportunities. They're really the curious group that are asking the big picture questions. The invention genius, they're the ones that create original and novel ideas and solutions. They love a blank sheet of paper and they love to dream up new possibilities. Discernment is the one that are using their intuition, their gut feel, that they assess ideas and plans. They can quickly kind of see patterns, recognize trends, and they really help teams and people pursue the best answers. The galvanizing, the G, the galvanizers, they're the people that get people moving. So on a team, they get the team kind of focused and moving in the best direction. They bring a ton of energy and movement to an idea or to a project. The genius of enablement. Now, this this one's an interesting one because that's not always a neutral word for people. Um, But the genius of enablement really is the most relational of all of these. They're the ones that ask, how can I help? They are the first to volunteer to help. They look at projects through the lens of people and relationships, not through the lens of tasks or getting stuff done. And then the final one is the genius of tenacity. And these are the people that are all about execution. There are list makers. They're the stuff that they'll make a list just to check things off a list, right? They love getting stuff done. So those are the six types. We obviously can go into much more depth going over those really quickly. But even as I'm starting to describe those, I'm guessing the people listening are going, oh, that one's me or that Mm -hmm. one's me or that one's definitely not me. Yeah. And knowing that you're able to make sure people are doing what they want to do, and then it doesn't seem like work anymore. Absolutely. I mean, if you get to spend most of your time focusing on the things that bring you energy, that bring you fulfillment, it hardly feels like work. And right now, I mean, you know, in almost all industries, we're in this great resignation, right? Where people are leaving their jobs, where people are pursuing other things, people are going to gravitate towards their working geniuses. They they might not even know it. They might not even have this language, but they're going to gravitate towards the kind of work that fulfills them. And they're going to move away from the kind of work that drains them. So 
who wouldn't want to know that as a leader? Who wouldn't want to know that as a team lead or somebody that is working with other people? Hey, I want to give you the kind of work that's going to fulfill you. How it's really helped us on our team is as the leader of the team, I would want to help people. I see people struggling. They're not getting things done. They're frustrated. How can I, as the leader, help them? And okay, well, I could put more on my plate. And that's typically where leaders go. And I would think, how can I take things off of someone else's plate, put a little bit more stress on me, but now I feel a little bit better because I'm helping somebody else but I didn't know what to take off their plate. And most of the time I was taking things off of the plate that they actually didn't want me to take. (laughs) That's the conundrum, right? So burnout, I mean, what you're alluding to is burnout. And that's such a huge part of any team, but burnout is not really too much work. It's too much of the wrong kind of work. My two frustrations are invention and tenacity. And I mean, we live in a world of tenacity. You've got to get things done. Well, for me, that is extremely draining work. So if you gave me a 20-hour-a-week job that was mostly focused on tenacity, I'm going to be burned out and frustrated and upset most of the time, right? I'm just going to live in that state. But I could work 60-plus hours a week doing discernment and enablement and forget that I'm working. I mean, it, it does not feel like work because it feels like I'm stepping into what I was created to do. So I love the highlighting of burnout because nobody wants to experience that. But a lot of times people that get burned out, they go on sabbatical or they get time off and they end up doing nothing, which brings them back to work just as miserable because they didn't know the kind of work that helped fulfill them. So I would love it if we didn't even need to worry about burnout because we were focusing on uh, the work that gave us fulfillment and joy to begin with. Tim, do you find with the people that you've worked with and they take the assessment that you're just giving them language. They always knew that they gravitated towards certain type of work and they didn't like the other type of work. And the assessment gives them language around that. Would that be a true statement? Yeah. Pat says, you know, Pat was the kind of, he was the leader of this. And really it started because Pat is an inventor and he loves to invent. He's inventing new ideas all the time. And one of his coworkers, like they just saw him inventing these new ideas and they said, Pat, why are you the way that you are? <laughs> and and he was like, I don't know, but I want to find out. So we don't really feel like we created the working genius. We feel like it really is something we unearthed over 20 plus years of working with teams. And once we started putting language to it, the reason it's had so much adoption so quickly is we didn't create this out of nowhere. We, we just started putting words around the stuff that people knew to be true. The thing that I think really helps differentiate the working genius is giving us language around our frustrations. A lot of us know what we are, and I don't even want to say good at, but a lot of us know the kind of work that gives us life. We just feel a lot of shame and guilt around the kind of work that doesn't give us life. So we say things like, I should do this more. I should be better at this. You know, All those things that don't produce any more of an ability for me to do the kind of work that drains me. It just makes me feel guilty about not doing that work. This actually puts language around the kind of work that I could do for a team and the kind of work that I really shouldn't be majoring on when I'm working with a team. We have found that people are a lot happier because they won't say yes to something they're competent in. 
And normally they would say no to something that maybe we didn't have a language years ago, but now like mine's tenacity. So I'm just going to say, no, I don't want to do something that involves that because that is my frustration. But I would say yes to something that was in my competency because I could do it. And that's where I was feeling burnout. That's where my team was feeling burnout and it never ended. They were good at it. They could do it. Give them more. I call the working competencies the stealth joy killer (laughs) because of exactly what you're describing. They're the stealth joy killer because these aren't my frustrations. These are things that I'm probably pretty good at. You know, I've learned to do over time and now people are going to ask me to do it. And so it's the stealth joy killer because you're like, sure, I'll do it. Sure, I'll do it. And over time, you might be spending a whole bunch of time in your competencies. You're probably not spending a lot of time in your frustrations. But if you're spending a whole bunch of time in your competencies, it's the thing that's just going to end up killing your joy over time and killing that fulfillment. So I am more aware to make sure and to help teams not tap into people's competencies, except for when they absolutely need to. I'm sure there are people out there that are listening and they're thinking, hey, this makes a lot of sense. I can see some issues that possibly this can help my team with. But they might also be thinking is I've only got just a very small handful of people on my team. I'm not going to have all six of these people on my team. What do you say to them? Absolutely. The easiest analogy for me to make sense of that is the marriage analogy. So my wife and I have taken this assessment and it has helped us immensely because I am discerning and enablement. She is wonder and tenacity. So that means we have a gap around invention and galvanizing. So One of our kids, one of my oldest kids was recently in trouble. And so I was actually on a plane and I'm texting with my wife. We had to invent some uh, punishments, right? We were trying to get creative around some punishments. And I just stopped and I said, hey, remember, this is neither of our strengths or anything we enjoy. So let's just remember that as we're ideating. Like, as we're ideating, let's just remember this. And I was more talking to myself because she's actually really nice. <laughs> I'm the one that has the tendency to not. So I'm sure she was like, great. I'm glad you reminded yourself so I didn't have to. But I went down that road of like, hey, just before let's do this. I share that example to say, even on a small team, okay, if we have to leverage invention and there's no invention on this team, let's be really kind about doing that because none of us are going to get energy or fulfillment or anything from this process. Or, I mean, if you're a small team and, you, and you've got to figure out something, maybe that's a good chance to borrow a genius. Like, hey, is there anybody we know with the genius of invention that can come in and help us ideate around solutions that we can then run with? You know, or can we borrow the genius of galvanizing or wonder? Or, you know, if we know what to go and look for, it's a lot easier to make that ask for people. Like, hey, let's I need your help in this specific area. And if it's their genius, it doesn't feel like work, right? It's like, oh, I'd love to help. I'd love to, I'd love to ideate a solution that I don't have to carry through to the finish line. (laughs) Like, of course I would. So I don't think the answer is go out and hire a whole bunch of people. It's be aware. I work all the time with teams, and I'm sure you get this question a lot. Like anytime you jump into assessments or any kind of model, they're like, well, what's the best kind of leader? right? Or what's the best this? I always say the best leader is a self-aware leader. There is no makeup of wiring and letters and temperaments and tests that churn out the best kind of leader. The best kind of leader is self-aware. So if you know 
here's what I bring to the team. Here's what the team is great at. And here's what the team is lacking. I don't want to lead them to a place of burnout. We need to be really kind when we're operating in people's competencies or frustrations. And we need to be really generous in giving people opportunities to lean into their geniuses. That's just an aware leader, right? It doesn't matter what your, what your makeup is. It matters that you're really aware about what you bring to the table and about what your team brings to the table. Can a project go smoother if you do have all of those people coming together? I absolutely think so because here's what I say, Trace. Like we talk about breaking it down into three kind of steps ideation, activation, and implementation. So your wonder and invention are in that ideation stage, your discernment and galvanizing are in that activation stage, and then your enablement and tenacity are in that implementation stage. So anytime we've got a project, we want to give the appropriate space to the ideation, the activation, and the implementation. But what normally happens with a business or with teams is they go from ideation to implementation, right? Ooh, I have an idea. Great, let's go get it done. But here's where this gets kind of serious for teams. When you skip over a stage, you're not just skipping over a stage of work, you're skipping over people who are trying to bring their best to the team. So as somebody like, I mean, for you, your discernment and galvanizing, you live and love that activation stage. Well, if you're on a team that's with a real ideator and some tenacity people, the tendency would be just to skip over you, which nobody wants to feel skipped over, right? And now you're fighting for a place in your team. You're fighting to add value. You're doing all these things that are kind of bringing out negative behaviors, all because we didn't slow down long enough to kind of honor the stages of the creativity process. So I think, can you skip them? Of course. Is that going to create long-term health on a team? I don't think so. It wasn't until I started learning about Working Genius that, I don't know if the table group came up with it, but the ideation, activation, and implementation, that made so much sense to me. I thank you guys for giving language around that. When we looked at projects that did not go the way we thought they would, it was always because we were missing a part. And normally it was the activation piece. Yeah, it's always the most skipped stage. And I believe we came up with it. I did not come up with it. I'm a parrot for it. Uh, I'm just repeating what I heard. But it is so wonderful. And sometimes I'll get in front of teams and I'm a little sheepish about sharing it because it seems so simple. But it is the thing that I think I do an exercise called Analyze a Past Project, which you were just kind of referring to. And I'm like, hey, tell me about a project that went well. Tell me about one that didn't go well. And where did we get stuck? And a lot of times, it's somebody jumping from ideation to implementation. And they've skipped over the discernment stage where they really refined this idea to make sure it was a really good one. And they skipped galvanizing, which is so important. Like, does everybody have buy-in? Like, are we getting everybody moving in the same direction? They just jumped to, how do I get this done as quickly as possible? You brought up temperament earlier, and Kathleen Edelman has been on this show. She's the author of I Said This, You Heard That. The best. I, I totally agree. She's helped me tremendously. We've talked about the colors before, red, yellow, green, and blue. Most people have a primary and a secondary. I do not. I am a red, red. And uh, I, I needed a lot of help. I just didn't understand why how I was communicating was not landing well with other people and vice versa. And Kathleen really opened that door. And I can't thank her enough for that. The last episode she was on was episode 117. 
you're very familiar with her material. I had somebody that I consult with ask me, where do the temperaments and working genius come together and fall apart? I am a high yellow. I'm a yellow red. Um, love the temperaments. It has helped me relationally. Um, it's helped me professionally. I mean, it's, it's helped me in all sorts of different ways. Here's what I say about every assessment. Assessments are about awareness, not about permission. So anytime you're taking an assessment, this is not permission for me to just be more of who I am. This is hopefully about awareness so that I can become a better version of myself. So just because I'm a yellow and like to have fun does not mean that every situation requires fun. You know, there are times where I need to make sure that I'm toning that down because that's what's best for the team. So when you're talking about any of these assessments, I mean, you know, temperaments and, and working genius specifically, I think there's overlap because they're allowing you to gain awareness around different things. To me, the temperaments, uh, I know they don't quite fall in just personality. I, I know Myers-Briggs would be more personality and the temperaments are a little bit different in that sense. But to me, the temperaments explain a lot of my emotional needs and they explain how to emotionally understand people different than me. The working genius, as I said in the beginning, is a production tool. So it's really about the art of getting work done, both individually and on a team. So I think they complement each other well, but I do think they measure very different things. Both are good. Like I want as much depth and understanding and awareness around myself and around my teammates. So I love using all of them because just because you have the genius of tenacity doesn't mean I necessarily understand your emotional needs. I mean, you could be a high red and have a lot of tenacity, but you're a high red with very low tenacity, right? So that creates very different people and how I would respond to you changes based on the makeup of those two. And that was where the person that I was talking to was getting at, well, are reds normally more tenacious or yellows more wonder? Does that work at all? Obviously, I'm, I'm just proving that with my assessment. Well, and so am I. I've had somebody, you know, somebody was like, I wonder if discernment people are more introverted and I'm as, I'm as extroverted as they come and I have discernment, you know? So it's like, I have not seen a correlation. I'm sure there is, but I could see somebody with the genius of wonder, they could be a blue or they could be a green or they could be a red or like, I, I can see how that those would work all over the map. I'm sure the more data we get on this, the more we'll be able to figure out those kind of pairings. But at this point, I tend to see it all over the place more than I see reds being this one type of thing. I appreciate that. I, I always like to make patterns out of things when I read things, and, and I haven't been able to make it out of this. I'll tell you how we've been using it. It's basically what you just said, that what type of work should we be making sure people are gravitating to? So we all know that, not just that person, but the entire team. So if they're taking on things that we know they shouldn't, we make sure they understand what that means and maybe even encourage them to hand that off. But if they really want to do it, then they're big people. They can do that. And then as far as temperament, what we make sure we're giving each other kind words. We're making sure we're communicating in the lens that the other people needs to hear, that we know the needs of that other person, and we're making sure that we're fulfilling those. Trace, I feel like the working genius is a cheat sheet on how to compliment people. 
I led a team for a long time and I had a galvanizer on my team. And I would text her every now and then and just say, hey, I'm so grateful for how you keep getting us all moving in the same direction and focusing on what's most important. And it meant the world to her, right? The tenacity people, I'm like, man, you do so much for us. And you probably do more than I'm even aware that you're doing. I just wanted to say thanks. You know, you could pinpoint each one of these and just shoot off a quick text to affirm people. And it's amazing how much that hits core to who they are and how much it actually means to them. Whereas I made the mistake in the past of not having or understanding this language. And I would send my tenacity person to a creative brainstorming meeting thinking I was a great leader. Like, Oh, look at me giving them a chance, you know, to, to go to this meeting. And I'm like, why are they miserable? I'm like trying to do something that's really nice for them. And they're miserable because I didn't understand this language. I didn't understand that there was certain kinds of work that they would gravitate towards and they would hate. I just thought everybody else liked the work I liked and that we all hated tenacity work or we all hated the things that I hated rather than being like, oh, wait, I'm just a part of the puzzle, right? I'm not the whole puzzle. So if you were to come in and you were working with a company that's never heard of working genius before, but they're saying there's just something off. We know we can work better together. We're more self-aware now and we know we can do things a little bit differently. What would you then do? What's your process? Well, I mean, first of all, I love kind of what you said. I want to understand the pain points. Like, hey, give me a future version of what this team could look like if everything was going really, really well. Okay, well, what are some of the things that are keeping us from getting there? And a lot of times it's productivity. Like we don't know how to tap into everybody equally. It's morale. It's confusion about what makes us successful. All those things that are more of the healthy side of the company rather than, you know, focusing on strategy and marketing and and all those things that we would say are the smart side. Both are needed for success. It's just the health side is what gets neglected most of the time. I mean, Pat talks about that so much in the book, The Advantage. So for me, I think taking the assessment and then one of the great tools, it's not just about individual awareness, it's about team awareness. So I'm sure you've seen this where we create a team map that shows people's geniuses and frustrations, and we actually put it on one piece of paper and kind of take a team through those assessments. So once the teammates understand their individual wiring, and then they understand the depth of the model. I like to take them through these team exercises that show them this is the team map and this is the people on the team that gravitate towards this type of work and this is the people that avoid this kind of work. Because when you have a grouping on the team of one frustration or one genius, it operates like a magnet on the team. So if there's a lot of tenacity, if there's a team with a lot of tenacity as their genius, they are going to have a really hard time in the brainstorming meetings because they're going to be like a magnet trying to pull everything towards the tenacity. Well, how are we going to get that done? Well, when is that going to be due? How is that even possible? Those kind of questions, which are really important questions for tenacity, but they can kind of kill the creative process for the people that have wonder and invention if we don't label these things and help make sense of these different things. So when I put it on paper, it helps us alleviate some of the tension between teammates. It's like, oh, wait, you you aren't trying to kill my idea. You're just trying to bring your genius to the table and deliver on it. And so one of the things that I do absolutely quickly is to talk about meetings and to talk about labeling meetings with the working genius. So if you're going to have a monthly brainstorm 
or, or something like that, label it WI, like, hey, this is a WI meeting. So somebody with the genius of tenacity knows, oh, I'm coming to this meeting not to bring my genius, but maybe just to listen or ask questions. And I might not even find this meeting very energizing. Whereas a daily stand-up or a weekly tactical meeting, we would say these are more of the galvanizing, discernment, enablement, tenacity kind of meetings. And the big picture question people probably should just kind of maybe save those questions for another meeting. But once you start to label those, you allow people to bring the best versions of themselves because it's a predictable environment, not just a whose opinion's loudest. Do you ever get to the point where you say, we're having a more visionary meeting we need the W and I's, the E's and the T's. You don't need to come to this. So I, that's a great question. Pat wrote a book called Death by Meeting, which if you haven't read it, you've maybe experienced it. <laughs> um, you know, we've all sat in meetings that are uh, what he calls meeting stew. This is all about how do we avoid meeting stew. So sometimes I think it makes sense to not invite people, but other times I feel like they could be left out on something they're going to have to deliver on without hearing the conversation. So I like the phrase predictable environments and predictable meetings more than I like inviting and uninviting people. Now, per team and per industry, maybe that that might make sense. But I would rather them just know like, hey, what's expected of me in this meeting, I think is a really, really good thing. Because if you just have meetings, they just kind of move towards whoever's the loudest. But one of the things we talk about with the working genius is, as disruptive as a plane going from 30,000 feet to 10,000 feet in an instant is, as much turbulence as that causes, that's how much turbulence gets interjected into a meeting when somebody at that brainstorming upper level gets interrupted by somebody who's at the tenacity ground level saying, well, how would we get that done? We call that turbulence. And also just as disruptive as if right before we're about to hit record on this podcast, if somebody comes in and asks a big picture question, like, should we even do a podcast? <laughs> right? That's a very disruptive question, causes a lot of turbulence. As we're walking into the event, we're like, wait a minute, that's not the time or the place for that question. And when you don't set up predictable meetings, people will just, they, they, they can't help but being themselves. So they will just ask those questions at all the wrong times because they weren't given an opportunity or a predictable place to be able to ask those kind of questions. So. I'm a huge fan of labeling different kinds of meetings because it allows people to bring their best to the team. People listening today have heard us talk about the assessment. They might be wanting to take the assessment themselves or get it for their team. What can you tell them about that? Just workinggenius.com. It's, I mean, it takes, I, I keep lowering the time. It literally takes like eight minutes to take it. Like it's 25 bucks. It takes maybe 10 minutes to take it. One of the cool things about taking this assessment is you will take it and you will get your quantitative results, meaning the assessment will say, here's your two geniuses, here's your two competencies, here's your two frustrations. But then it will take you through a qualitative process, which is it will help you ask questions because maybe you want to change an answer based on what you heard. So you might answer the questions and it comes out that your discernment is a genius, but you're like, you know what? Now that I've read through these questions, I really think it's invention. And so it gives you the final say of what you actually are, because even an assessment can't tell you really what brings you the most joy and what brings you the most fulfillment. It's up to you to answer that. So it's, I, I think it's one of the only assessments that does that. So even though it only takes about eight to 10 minutes to answer, I always recommend people spend another 10 or 15 minutes just going through the assessment results to really nail in 
what their answers are. Yeah, I think the last part that you mentioned is key. And many of us aren't familiar with that because we punch a couple of answers into a computer, it spits out an answer, and we're done. Uh, I spent a lot of time with that. And I think it was after I listened to one of the Working Genius podcasts and uh, so much great information on that podcast. And he was talking about how to really dive into that portion of the assessment. So I dug it back up and I did that. And I, I probably spent about 40 minutes on it. And I took okay. his advice and I, I lined through things that I would never say. And I underlined things. Oh, I can hear myself saying this all the time. And uh, I actually did confirm my working geniuses but it did have me a little bit different with what my frustrations and competencies were. That's so good. I don't think I've had a team that, I mean, maybe a team under five, but any team over five, I don't think I've been in there where somebody hasn't changed something, their geniuses or frustrations after we've talked about it at length, or they've gotten feedback from other takes like, hey, I, I see you doing this more. Is that because you find that more fulfilling? Or is that just what you think you're supposed to do? Like, Surfacing those kind of conversations allow people to get really specific about their answers. So I, I've seen that a lot with teams. Tim, my geniuses are discernment and galvanizing. How can I best serve my team knowing that? So one of the episodes that you mentioned before, the Working Genius Podcast, it's called the Pairings episode. So they took everybody's geniuses and they put a label around the pairings. So yours is discerning and galvanizing. So we call that the intuitive activator. So your team, if they were to look at all the pairings of the different options, they would be like, oh, that's Trace, right? He's the intuitive activator. He has a sense of which way we should go. And once he knows where we should go, he is probably getting us moving in the right direction. So as we talked about before, the, the best leader is a self-aware leader. So for you to have that awareness of I like to pull every meeting and conversation to that activation stage, the discernment, the galvanizing. That's where I like to pull it. But that doesn't mean that every conversation or meeting needs to be there. So really, I think as a team leader, it's about how do I bring my best, but then how do I set others up to succeed in the areas that I'm not going to gravitate toward? So you surrounding yourself with people that love tenacity, that love to finish, which I know you've done hiring people that are great at getting things across the finish line and owning that each person kind of brings a piece to the table and a piece to the team is really healthy for the team because you're asking them to do what brings them energy and you're not doing the kind of work that frustrates you because people don't want to work for a frustrated leader. Have you worked with teams where they're hiring new people and they use this assessment to figure out who their next hire is going to be? Absolutely. Pat has written a book on what we call the ideal team player. So there is a value set for a team that probably comes before a role function. So to talk about the phrase, how do we get the right people on the bus? And then how do we get them in the right seat on the bus? Well, we use something called hungry, humble, people smart to kind of assess, are they the right fit for this organization? And then I talk about the working genius for how do we get them in the right seat? So yes, I use it for hiring, but not as the only tool for hiring. Because just because you have tenacity doesn't mean that you're a good fit for this organization. Like the role might need tenacity, and that's great. You're going to be satisfied in that role, but there's a bigger picture of what's going on 
within this organization that we'd want you to be a fit for before we figure out the right seat on the bus. So I'm dying to know the answer to this question. As a member of the table group, how does the table group make sure that a new hire will live the core values, hungry, humble, and smart? That's such a good question. Well, I mean, really, you're being interviewed long before you realize you're being interviewed. By the time you sit in a formal interview, they've already decided if you have those or not. And then one of the things that in a formal interview that they'll make you do is rank yourself on those three. So hopefully, by the time you're around to interviewing, you've rubbed shoulders with enough people for them to say, hey, I think this person will be a good fit. Hungry, humble, people smart is what we're looking for. And we think this person has it. And then they just, I mean, they asked me to rate myself on those three. And now here's where a correlation did jump out, Trace, is hungry is what I labeled third for myself, which coincides with tenacity as a frustration. If I would have said hungry is first and they knew my working genius results, that would have probably raised some, huh, like, are you sure it's hungry? Because tenacity is a frustration. And I I answered so quickly, I didn't have time to think about that, but that was exactly how Cody responded. He's like, well, that makes sense. If tenacity is one of your frustrations, that would make sense that hungry is your third. So that that's just kind of one of the things that we do is we kind of grade ourselves against those because you're going to be miserable because that's what we're going to hold you to. Like hungry, humble, people smart isn't just who we want on board. It's, it's what we're going to also hold you accountable to. So if you're not drawn to those, you're going to be miserable here. And we don't want people that are miserable here. So that's how we go about making sure that we're trying to get the ideal team player for the table group. Tim, I'm sure we sparked some interest around the working genius. We probably created some awareness. People are thinking, this is probably the exact tool that I've been missing in my company. If you want to leave everybody with just one thing that they can think about, what would you say about the working genius? So I would leverage an old description of an old board game, believe it or not, called Othello. And the tagline of that game is, Othello takes a moment to understand, but a lifetime to master. And I think that is the perfect analogy to the working genius. So really, at its core, it's about six activities of work that are required to get any project done. We gravitate toward and get energy from two types of work, and we are frustrated by and avoid two types of work. And so very simple to understand. You, that's the elevator pitch. There is a whole lot of depth that we didn't even get to that we could uncover on application of this tool. But just at its core, I would want people to know that work doesn't have to suck, right? Work can be fulfilling. Work can bring you joy. Work does not have to be the thing that you dread. But you owe it to the people around you to get awareness around what kind of work brings you energy and fulfillment. I feel like I owe it to my family to spend more of my time focusing on the things that bring me joy and energy so that I can show up and be the best version of myself for them. We have a lot of people that own their own companies that are listening. Pretty easy for them to start something new, but we also have a lot of people that work for other people and they're thinking there's something to this. I think that this can help the entire team. What advice would you give them to bring this to their managers, to their supervisors? I see that a lot. One of the things is just take the assessment, understand yourself, and share those ahas with 
your boss or your team, people avoid a really you know high dollar solution for 25 bucks to gain the kind of awareness that I think the working genius provides. And the only reason I'm doing this for work is because when I was a user of this, it changed the way I viewed teams and led teams. So I'm a terrible salesman. I couldn't sell if I didn't believe in it. I think this tool really helps. And so I would take the assessment and I would make sure to share those results with the people you care about, just if anything else, so they can be more aware of you and you're practicing that really healthy discipline of modeling self-awareness, which is really contagious on a team. So I would start there. I would just start with learning yourself and sharing those results and see what happens. And I might recommend that after they get the results, they go over to the Working Genius podcast and listen to some of the conversations around what the assessment actually means. Absolutely. And and they're really quick. They're like 15-minute episodes. So I've binged on a lot of those at times just to catch up. And they're very insightful. And eventually, we're going to have a book that accompanies this. Can you tell us anything about the book? Yes, I've only got snippets of the book at this point, but it's coming out in September and I can't wait. The whole point of the book is to drive people to the assessment, not because we want to sell the assessment. It's we want people to get awareness around the kind of work that brings them energy and joy and what work to avoid. Like, I don't want to major on this kind of work because it is going to frustrate the heck out of me, you know? So there's so much, there's so much in that and there's so much goodness and health in knowing that about ourselves. It helps our relationships. It helps our teams. And I could not be more of a fan of having people gain awareness around this. Well, Tim, I can't wait for the book to come out. In fact, when it does come out, it's going to be the next book that the Rising Tide Mastermind reads. I know we're going to really enjoy that within the Mastermind group. And I'm hoping you're going to come in and help the Mastermind group a little bit, understand it the way you understand it. Let's do it. That'd be so fun. Awesome. Well, Tim, thank you so much for your time. If people want to find out more about you, more about Working Genius, what should they do? I would love to connect with people about Working Genius. I'm on LinkedIn, Tim Cooper. Also, you could just email me, tim.cooper at tablegroupconsulting.com. I would love to connect and hear more about how you're using it and what you're learning about it. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on Scaling Up H2O. Nation, you have heard me interview several people from the table group on this podcast. I love all of Pat Lencioni's books. They are just a wealth of knowledge if you are in business, if you're working with a company, if you own a company. It is a way to get your entire leadership team around lots of concepts. And as I mentioned before, I never really enjoyed the fable version of it, but my team absolutely got into the book because of the fable. So rather than reading just a business boring book, find one of Lencioni's books that might interest or advance your team, and it will not be hard to do. And you can have an entire discussion around the book as people really get into the stories. Now, in the near future, there will be a book around working genius. I cannot wait for that book to come out. As you heard me tell Tim, we have been using Working Genius for some time now. This is an assessment that I didn't know I needed. I definitely didn't want, 
But when I understood it, it allowed me to engage my team totally different. And as an employer, as the person that's highest up in my company, I hate to see people overloaded with work. And I would inherently take things off of their plate. But here's the thing. I didn't know what to take off of their plate. I thought I was doing them a favor. But if I was taking something off of their plate that was in their working genius, I did the exact opposite of a favor. I'm now burning them out. Everybody on my team has taken the working genius assessment. If you want to take it, we'll have a link to that on the show notes page. But now that I know everybody's working genius, I know what to take off of their plate. So my working genius is galvanizing and discernment. And my frustrations are tenacity and wonder. Pretty much by default, I will eliminate anything that's tenacity and wonder. What I will find is I will take things on around invention and enablement, and it's that working competency, that middle area that we all get burned out in. Now, we're good at it. We can do it. We just don't enjoy it. We're competent in it. And if we can start learning how to say no or getting people to realize that that's not what they should be assigning us, it's not that the workday gets any less, but we enjoy it a lot more because we're working on the things that we love doing. And after I took this assessment and after I learned more about all of these geniuses, I can tell you without a doubt that galvanizing and discernment are definitely my working genius areas. When I look at when I am doing my most fun work, I didn't have language for it before, but it was always because I was either galvanizing or discerning something that was going on. Knowing that has helped me tremendously. It's helped my entire team. And as I was working with other teams, I noticed that they had the same frustration. They were also looking for what's the next hire that I need on my team. And I never really found an assessment that worked with that. As I mentioned with Tim, the temperaments are great. And I can't say enough about the I said this, you heard that temperament study. And we use that like crazy here in our industry. We use it at our family. Uh, we use it all over in, in, in pretty much everything that I touch because it is just so powerful. But I don't know if you don't have a blue on your team, you need to go out and hire a blue or same thing with any color. So it didn't really work that way. And with teams that I worked with, they would ask me, what is the next hire that we need to bring on that leadership team? And I just didn't have a good answer for it until I found the six working geniuses. And we'll look at it and we'll say, hey, you do not have anybody on your team with the genius of tenacity. So maybe you should bring somebody on your team that has that. And now as you're interviewing people, you can now have them take this assessment. And when you find somebody that fits the core values of your team, somebody that you want to work with, they want to work with you, and they have the genius of tenacity, well, folks, you just found your new team member. 
And I've heard people that have done that and it has just filled in a gaping hole. They always knew was missing, but they didn't have language around it. I can't tell you all the wonderful ways that I have seen working genius used. So I'm gonna have more information on the show notes page around working genius. So feel free to go to the show notes page and find as much information as you like. I'd love to hear how you were using the working genius and I just can't say enough good things about it. Nation, I'm curious, is there something out there that you feel has just made your work or home life just 10 times better? Is it an assessment? Is it a book? Is it a seminar? Is it a tip? Whatever it is, let me know what that is. I'm always on the lookout for the next thing. This was the next thing for me. I now have to find the next, next thing, and I'd love for you to help me out. Maybe I'll even have a topic on that on the podcast. Nation, I want to make sure that you are thinking about how you can get better each and every week. And of course, the person that's going to help us with that is James McDonald. Here's a brand new Thinking on Water with James. Welcome to Thinking on Water with James, the segment where we don't give you the answers, we give you the topics and questions for you to think about drop by drop. Now let's get to it. In this week's episode, we're thinking about a salt bridge in a water softener system. What is a salt bridge? How do you know if you have one? What impact can it have on a water softener? How do you remove a salt bridge? How can it be prevented in the future? Take this week to think about salt bridges in water softener systems. Be sure to follow hashtag TOW22 and hashtag ScalingUpH2O to share your thoughts on each week's Thinking on Water. I'm James McDonald, and I look forward to learning more from you. As always, thank you, James McDonald. You are making sure that we are all thinking on water and getting a little bit better each and every week. By the way, folks, that's what we do each and every week with the Rising Tide Mastermind. We've got a waiting list getting ready to release the next cohort of the Rising Tide Mastermind. So if it sounds like that you need a little push to get to the next level, you want to get there further, you want to get there faster, you want to get there with the help of others while you're helping others, well, by all means, go to ScalingUpH2O.com and navigate over to our Mastermind webpage. Learn more about the Rising Tide Mastermind. And if it sounds like something that you would like to do, I would love to talk to you about that very thing. We've got well over 50 people in the Rising Tide Mastermind. We have five groups getting ready to release group number six, and maybe that is the group for you. I'd love to have that conversation with you. And again, to find out more, go to the Scaling Up H2O webpage and navigate over to Mastermind. So many people are going further faster, are having fun doing it, are helping other people. And I would love to uh, add you to that name if it's beneficial for everybody involved. Nation, I hope you continue to do something that you can grow and challenge yourself. And I hope you will tune in next week for a brand new episode of Scaling Up H2O. 
Scout Nation, we have just started a new group within the Rising Tide Mastermind. I am so amazed at how successful and how well received the Rising Tide Mastermind has been in our community. And we are starting a new waiting list for the next group. If you want to get on this waiting list so you can start with our next group, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind to see if this is the right group for you. And then after you and I have a brief conversation to make sure the group fits for you and you fit for the group, we can get you on that waiting list. I can't wait to talk to you. Remember scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind.